Super Talk Mississippi media production. Moondog Makers and Bakers Catering Services. Taking ordinary to extraordinary. Personal and home private nights to massive events. From wood-fired pizzas to full gras. Get your three-pack spice blend of Moondust, Mooncrust, and Moonrocks. Hashtag what is Moondog? Familiar food done differently. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbard along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this day after christmas merry christmas everyone and you rhino good to see you sir howdy howdy how'd it go it went well but it was I've been using the word whirlwind a lot because it, it feels like, especially Christmas Eve, Sunday was just nonstop go, go, go. Yeah. Because when I, when I go to Tupelo to visit my family, I usually set an alarm, get up, get the day started. But usually somebody wakes me up about 30 minutes before I set my alarm. So this time around, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to set an alarm. I'm just going just gonna to wake up when they wake me up. And I woke up about 9 o'clock, and I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe we just have the, the candlelight service tonight. Maybe they're not doing a, a, a church service this morning. Nope. No, I had to hurry up and get ready for church. Unbelievable. <laughs> Nobody woke me up. Well, I wonder if the fact that it was a Monday kind of made it uh, Christmas on Monday, a bit of the whirlwind, as you described. Oh, yeah. Because you had a lot of time off to build up to it. <laughs> So I went to Mass twice on Sunday. Father made it clear, it's not a two-for-one deal. <laughs> uh, always uh, always a lot of fun. The 4 o'clock Christmas Eve Mass is uh, a children's Mass at my parish. It's just so great to see all the kids all excited, trying to um, anticipate and stay calm. And turn mass as they anticipate what's about to happen. Pretty cool. You know, there's um, we come on here a lot and and talk about stuff that we should be concerned about, various challenges in our state, in our country, problems that we should address and need to work on and crazy stuff going on. But today, and we'll get to some of that, but I want to start out with uh, a story that I came across In North Carolina, baby boy makes it home. You'd have to say this is the ultimate Christmas gift. 17 months in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit. 17 months. UNC Children's Hospital in Chapel Hill. They celebrated the discharge of this baby 
on Monday, December the 18th. And they sent him off with Christmas music and a cap and gown. How cool is that? 17 months. This is, uh, I think, both a testament to the miracles that the good Lord above works, but also unbelievable human innovation in medical science. This wasn't possible a few short years ago. No way. No way. It's unbelievable. really is. And congratulations to the happy couple, the Gaines family. They says it's been a long road with some dark days. Man, I'm sure it is. How do you function 17 months with your flesh and blood in the NICU there, not really knowing if he's going to pull through? But he did, by a miracle, and was sent home. Congratulations. Merry Christmas to uh, the young couple there. That is awesome. A Texas family, (laughs) they had one of these incredible home light shows. And, you know, with all the digital control now, you can implement on your outdoor Christmas lights, and indoor for that matter. You can do all sort of neat stuff. But this particular light show was mistaken for aliens, (laughs) and it drew out a crowd, Georgetown, Texas. And it was due to the strange lights in the sky, and they thought, maybe it's aliens invading. No, it was just the Christmas lights, beaming light skyward. That's really pretty cool. Really enjoyed that. Christmas music. Always fun. Always enjoy it. Now, I'll admit, maybe it's because I'm a baby boomer. I like the old traditional Christmas music. Uh, It does seem like that's when the majority of the better and longer living Christmas songs were written. Recognizable. (laughs) Usually deals with the true theme, underlying theme of Christmas. And, of course, our good friend Steve Azar does a fantastic job of showcasing many of those tunes as well. Hope you caught that. It was great. A little surprised to see that Mariah Carey, I guess I shouldn't be. She, of course, produced a very popular Christmas tune that a lot of people are familiar with. All I want for Christmas is you. It hit one billion streams on Spotify in December 21. She rakes in a couple of million a year in royalties. And that's not the total amount of the royalties. That's just her share. 8.5 million of annual royalties generated just from that one tune. Which is why a lot of people were... Celebratory, I guess, is the correct term, when she was dethroned as the number one Christmas song for this year. Yeah, and so tell the good folks what was that. Uh, <laughs> she got dethroned by Wham! I know! Last Christmas. Who who would have thunk? I, I was expecting like a, a new song to come along, and it's like, all right, it's this time song in the spotlight. No, let's let's just go back to Wham! I was, I was shocked as well. Of course, Wham! consisted of uh, two... English lads, George Michael, the late, great George Michael, 
and his partner, Andrew Ridgely, an instrumentalist, very popular. But, yeah, it dethroned it. Still, though... Oh, yeah, she still made a ton of money. Two and a half million on royalties. By the way, Ms. Carey <laughs> has a net worth, according to Celebrity Net Worth. That's an, an, an organization that tracks that sort of stuff. $350 million. And I think, let me just say, I think that's great. I mean, she produced stuff. People bought it. She made a lot of money. You'd be hard-pressed to find a CEO of any corporation that's worth that much unless you get to the guys that form these companies, like Elon Musk. Founders and CEOs. Right. But nonetheless, the left considers them the, the absolute the villains of society, right? Um, And I think it's great. I mean, Mariah Carey, unbelievable talent, no doubt about it. Isn't she one of these people that can effectively sing in all octaves with equal quality, something to that effect? Well, she has the, she's, she's famous for her ability to sing in whistle tones, which there's even a video of her swimming with the dolphins, and her whistle tone is so high pitched that, it like the dolphin is squeaking with excitement because it's like, wait, she sounds like I do. <laughs> She's a dolphin whisperer, right? Uh, a stunning image. You may have seen this, folks. A photo, an outer space photo captured by NASA of a cluster of, of stars and other stuff running around in space. Bigger than the sun, they estimate. Looks like a Christmas tree. Kind of has a green tone to it. And it's shaped like a Christmas tree. Green gas in a cluster. NASA said that represents the tree's pine needles. How about that? You'll have to agree, that's pretty dang cool, isn't it? So, but I hope everyone had a fantastic weekend and day. Enjoyed their their families, a day off, hopefully, to those who had to work, first responders, healthcare professionals, some retailers, etc. We very much appreciate your service on Christmas Day. Very much appreciate it. I know we had Captain Turnipseed on last week, and, of course, the good men and women of the State Highway Patrol were going to be out and about protecting the roadways in the state of Mississippi. And we certainly appreciate them. A lot of other stuff going on as well, folks, and uh, we'll get to it. There's a very curious story about Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and what occurred to her over Christmas on Christmas Day, apparently not the first time. We'll dig into that on the other side of the break. We're in the Element Wealth Studio today. It is the day after Christmas. We're going to be here all week. It turns out at 11.05, Scott Waller, the president and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council, will hear about MEC's Capital Day. I think that's coming up next week, right after that legislature gathers up under the dome. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Dirt. What? What? This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. received a couple of texts from folks that are a little shocked over Wham! elevating to the top. But I did see that as well and was a little surprised. I, I, did, I mean, that's like from 85 or 6 or something like that. Because they're, they're big hit to put them on the map. I do recall 83, I believe. I think it was 83, 84, Careless Whisper. May have been a number one that particular year. George Michael. Andrew Ridgely. Were they Welsh, maybe? I can't remember. I know they're from the British Isles somewhere. Hertfordshire. Okay. Where's that? <laughs> in Bushy, in a town of Hertzmere. Okay. Hertzmere borough of Hertfordshire. It sounds like the Swedish chef when you try to say these things. <laughs> what did you find? When was the song created? Uh, last Christmas was 86. Okay. I missed it by a year there. I said 85. 86. All right. Um, and Careless Whisper was 84. 84. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was 83 or 4, but I do remember. And I want to say it may have been number one, you know, on one of the charts that ranks. Was it, isn't that right? Number one or something like that? Big time. Careless Whisper. That was back in the golden era of MTV when the videos. We're really music videos, at least. <laughs> Actually, they had Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, okay. Everything She Wants, and Careless Whisper, all of which topped the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Okay. Yeah. All big, big tunes. You know, one of my favorites, honestly, is the, the live rendition of Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me, Elton John's famous tune. And it is uh, it's a concert. And it's George Michael. and one, uh, I think it's just George Michael. I don't think Andrew was with him at the time. I think maybe they had split up. And he's singing the famous Elton John tune. And he gets in, you know, about a third of the way through. And then he introduces Elton John. They, well, that was unexpected, certainly, to the crowd. He comes out, and they sing it together. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it looks like Last Christmas was one of their last hits together because George Michael went solo in early 87. Okay. How about that? All right. That's cool. Well, we're just digressing and reminiscing here about music, and we brought up Wham! because they they have now taken the spot as the most popular Christmas tune. And if you ask them what today is, since they're British, they would say Boxing Day. That's right. So thank you for saying that, because it just reminded me of uh, a tradition that I kind of have on Christmas, Christmas Eve, Christmas, and that's to watch mash so good and there was an episode you may recall those that are mash aficionados such as i where they they followed uh, the lead from the brits and they had a uh what's called a boxing day right yeah yep and they what they do and i believe this is true story i mean i and i think the the episode was based on the truth i didn't even know that existed till i watched that that mash particular episode and 
So for at least a day, or maybe it's a longer period of time, but whatever the period of time is kind of irrelevant, they, uh, they trade places in that the enlisted men become the officers and the officers become the enlisted men and women. And so they trade places. And Klinger <laughs> become the corporal, the company clerk becomes the colonel, the colonel, and the colonel becomes the clerk. And Winchester is assigned to KP duty, Charles M. Winchester. And he is uh, he's reporting to, what's the guy's name, I think, from Louisiana, a character that I think it was him that was in charge, as I recall, of the of the mess, preparation of the food. <laughs> and he's reporting Winchester's reporting to him. But it's uh it's good stuff. Well that that reminded me of it. But also there are two fantastic, I think, television series episodes that really do capture the spirit of Christmas that um, I always enjoy watching. One of those is The Mash. Death Takes a Holiday, the name of the episode. I think it was 81, if I'm not mistaken, 1981. And The Mash team is having a, uh, a Christmas celebration to the extent they could. Given it was the 80 Christmas special. 1980, thank you. Okay. It was the day after Christmas. The Boxing Day was the 81 Christmas special. Okay, got it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, all right, so 80, Death Takes a Holiday. I believe that is the name of the episode. You're second That's here. correct. Okay. And if you, you folks may have seen it, but it's it's so moving, it's so touching. But they are, of course, celebrating, and there's a ceasefire, a supposedly a ceasefire. And they get interrupted. The MASH team, the docks, they get interrupted because a uh, an injured soldier is transported to them, young man. And they, of course, attend to him, bring him in the, into the OR, and it's not looking good. I mean, it's, it's pretty much a given that he's not going to make it. And B.J. Honeycutt, Dr. Honeycutt, He's insistent that he's going to continue to administer care to keep him alive, at least so that he doesn't die on Christmas Day. Finds a photo in his pocket, I believe, of his family, wife and children, and doesn't want, does BJ, does not want the kids especially to have to think of Christmas Day as the day their dad died. And uh, he gets belligerent at Father Mulcahy really, gets snipey with him because he's trying to administer the last rites. And he says, you can't can't take him yet. And it's, I mean, it's a really touchy situation when you've got doctors and, and someone trying to do their duty and Father Mulcahy trying to do his duty. And I don't remember all the communication and the, and the, the script, but it's, it's excellent, honestly, back and forth. So well done, as were all those shows. And they work and work and work, and and uh, even even um, the other doctors, even even the colonel and Hawkeye tells BJ it's too late. Can't get you can't save him. It's it's too late. And he says no, it's not. And he starts ordering Margaret, to, the nurse, to 
more of this, that, and the other to try to keep him going so he doesn't die on Christmas Day. And they're within 30 minutes or so out. Finally, he just, he caught, they call it. Can't make it. He gives up. And Hawkeye walks over to the clock on the wall and moves the minute sand forward at like 10 minutes after midnight so as to record the death on the day after Christmas. Margaret, of course, being a career Army brat, honestly, raised by her father. Bit of a stickler. Yeah, for rules and regulations. Makes the comment, falsifying a record. That'll be a first for me. And she's distraught over that possibility. And then Father Mulcahy, uh, he, he pipes up and said Christmas should be a day of, of birth, not death. And so they do it. But death takes a holiday. I mean, that's so pointed. And... Um, it's so emotional, honestly. It's it's excellent. Excellent acting, excellent storyline and theme. But that, I would say, is probably my favorite, second most favorite, Andy Griffith. And it's uh, when the old crotchety Ben, a local Mayberry businessman, goes and has a moonshiner <laughs> locked up. And Andy tries to talk him out of it because it's Christmas, and he's got a family, and he insists. So Andy locks him up, and then they come up with a great idea. We'll just bring Christmas to the jail. Aunt B and bring the food, and Barney's going to play the Santa. We'll just do it here. And a couple of friends as well. So Well, they arrested the wife and kids. That's right. As accessories. That's right. To get them to the jail for the party. And he explains that to Ben, the old crotchety Ben. Like, what are they doing here? Because he comes by. Well, nonetheless, they uh, as they're celebrating and they're they're eating and serving eggnog and they start. Andy's on the guitar, strumming the guitar, and they start singing Christmas carols and away in a manger. And old Ben is. Outside, looking inside the bars, the bar window, and watching and singing along, show his face. And he's standing on uh, a wooden box that's got some stuff in it there. And he he falls on it. He trips on it. And they hear it. They go outside. And there's Ben. And Andy says, you know something, I declare, you beat all I've ever seen. It almost seems like you're wanting to get in. Oh, is that what it is, man? Oh, don't you think that? You're crazy. (laughs) We'll tell the rest of the story. You guys have seen it, but I don't care. I'm going to tell it anyhow on the other side of the break. We're in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, I bless my soul, but what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man on a fuzzy tree. My friends say I'm acting wild as a bug. I'm in love. I'm all shook up. Yeah, yeah. There you go, the king. So continuing on with our little recap of the 
Andy Griffith Christmas episode. If I'm not mistaken, it may have been the only one Christmas story. I think it's the, name. the only oh, one, yeah. the whole series. The only one that took place at Christmas. Yeah. So Ben is spying on them while they're enjoying Christmas. The, uh, the little family that Andy locked up. Andy, of course, Barney, Aunt B, Opie, and Ellie from down the street. And uh, Ben is spying, looking through the the open window. What's weird, Rhino, is that there's an open window, and they got coats on like it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> open window in the jail there. And he's standing on a box with some stuff in it, goods in it. And uh, they hear something outside. Andy runs out there. And... He's obviously he's trying to get himself arrested so he could participate and enjoy Christmas. And Andy allows him to go back to his store, pick up some things, goes inside, says, oh, yeah, it wasn't anything. And then here comes Ben with a big old suitcase, starts handing out gifts. Well, I thought this was my electric razor, my shaving razor. It was skates, I think, right? <laughs> This is my shaving cream here. It's for you to to the kids. A big stuffed doll. So even old crotchety Ben was uh, infected with the Christmas spirit of giving and peace and happiness, shall we say. I just thought it was good. Good episode. So between that and the MASH episode, Death Takes a Holiday, that's what I have to rank as my favorite both from a long time ago, but so, I think, eloquently tell the story in a different way of of what Christmas really means, and that's just goodness and kindness and, and peace, and gosh, in the case of the MASH episode, it was a weird deal, something, and a, a gesture that would... Uh, be sad news to the family, but even more so if it had occurred on Christmas. The doctors knew that. Even the good father understood that, rationalized it, even though they were, as Margaret says, falsifying a record. But I think the right thing to do at the end of the day, really cool stuff. Karen in Oxford shares an interesting story on the ceasefire text line. During the recent tornado in Tennessee, a woman threw herself over her two children, but her four-month-old was pulled from her arms into the storm. After the storm, there was nothing but debris everywhere. The crib was wrapped around a large tree. They found the four-month-old in the tree, safe in what could only be described as a cradle of debris. Baby's name is Lord, safe and sound. Really cool. Thanks for sharing that, Karen. Appreciate it. Scott and Clinton says, Gerard, me and the wife binge watch TV land yesterday as well. That's where you can catch all those old programs. That and me TV. FETV as well. But yeah, the the uh, Andy Griffith episode I caught on TV land. You know, back in those days, you think about sort of the I would call it the golden era uh, situation comedy, if you will, and 
and uh, just primetime themed television, 60s, a little bit into the 70s. Most all of them had a Christmas episode. They even saw a Bewitched one. Hazel, oh, yeah. Leave it to Beaver, you know, all those old famous programs. And nobody thought anything of it as in, you know, well, that just only is for the Christians, right? Which seems like I'm always looking over my shoulder now every time I see something like, well, that, that you know, that celebrates Christmas, it symbolizes it. Well, they're okay with it. It's like, how do we get to this point where something that represents goodness, it really doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. What's not to like about it? What's what's bad with that? Somebody explain that to me. I saw that in the nation's capital, and this is uh, really disturbing, Washington Metro, that's the folks that operate the Washington Metro is the short for Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. They have 1,600 buses. I had no idea. That's a bunch of buses. W-M-A-T-A. And they sell space on the side of the buses, advertising space, of course, to generate revenue. Makes sense. To help pay for the cost. And they've got some policies, as they should, on what is acceptable content to place on the side of the buses. But it seems to be done at, shall we say, the whim of the administrators. They're the ones that determine what's permissible, what's not. Well, there's a group called Wall Builder Presentations, and they provide resources detailing the history of Christianity and its role in the founding of this great country. It submitted ads to the Metro that would include the painting of George Washington kneeling in prayer. You've seen it at Valley Forge. And the founders in Philadelphia with the caption, Christian, question mark. The ads also had a QR code and a web address for those interested in learning more about it. Well, W... MATA rejected these submissions. They said that these are, quote, issue ads, and that they are intended to influence members of the public on an issue in which there are varying opinions. I'm not sure there are any issues that don't have varying opinions. <laughs> So the wall builders group resubmitted the ads. They removed the word Christian from just the the image itself. But WMATA rejected them once again. It's just unbelievable. However, they do accept all sorts of other crazy stuff that they have found to be not issues where there's controversy, such as the COVID-19 vaccine, when that was really a thing, promoting that. That didn't drive public controversy? Unbelievable. But a faith-based banner is an issue ad. 
while others are are allowed, and that's clearly hypocritical, and it represents a, a double standard. Now, the group did allow an ad for the musical, The Book of Mormon, which actually lampoons, criticizes the Mormon church and, and religion just in general, and includes songs that spout vulgarity, anti-religious, obscene lyrics. That's okay. That's not controversial. And it's okay to have ads that promote social justice in school, Earth Day, term limits on Supreme Court justices. Oh, that's not controversial. So one can only conclude that these people are anti-religious, anti-Christian religion. What's their deal? I mean, what is what is the harm in featuring an image of the nation's first president kneeling down in prayer. How is that hurting people? I'd like to hear from the people who claim they're hurt by that and try to provide some logical, rational explanation. This is just upside down, but keep in mind, Rhino, there's no war on Christianity. Perish that thought from your mind. Oh, no, there's not. Just in the nation's capital. Unbelievable. Totally unbelievable. It, um, and they wonder why there's such strong reaction and backlash to this sort of stuff. Marjorie Taylor Greene, we're going to get to this when we come back. She was what's called swatted on Christmas Day, and if I'm not mistaken, according to the representative, this is the eighth time this has happened to her on Christmas. Now, regardless of what you think about Miss Green, no person should have to endure this in this country. This is so ridiculous. Why do you even think about politicizing Christmas Day? Coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Middays is back with you. We are live today, the day after Christmas, in the Element Well studio, the Dow up 111 at this hour. The S&P and NASDAQ also in the green. The NASDAQ up uh, about 4%, pardon me, 0.4%. And the 10-year yield 
it's approaching 4% again, still below that threshold, which is good for interest rates. A lot of uh, discussion about where the economy's going in 2024 because we're about to kick it off. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, swatted means that someone falsely reported a crime at your house, like an in-process crime. And that would cause the police to show up. It's not real common, but such incidents have had some bad outcomes in the past. I mean, even gunfights and the like, fatalities if the police come in. But Marjorie Taylor Greene says this is the eighth time on Christmas Day Someone has reported that something's going on at her house. Now, in this case, nobody, the police didn't show up. The Rome Police Department, Rome, Georgia, they confirmed to the AP that it it received the call, but it very swiftly determined it was a hoax, and thus no officers were dispatched to the representative's home there in Georgia. Department spokesperson said a man in New York called a suicide hotline in Georgia late in the morning claiming to have shot someone at Miss Green's home and threatening suicide. You got to be wacko. You think this was politically motivated? I do. I can't imagine. Why her? Yeah, it would almost have to be. It's hard to believe that it wasn't grounded in, in some sort of political controversy. Speaking of, by the way, another show I watched he, in the heat of the night, of course, set in Spada, Mississippi. This really was a good program, 1990. And it was a reporter from the Sparta Herald, I believe. And she was doing an investigative article on the Sparta Police Department, and what she was looking for is evidence of racism in the department. Of course, with the detective Virgil Tibbs being on board and Chief Gillespie and the like, Bubba. Um, And so she just continues to, during the show, she continues to speak to members of the department And she just badgers the heck out of them. I mean, really trying to put words in their mouth about various incidents that occurred that she was aware of and trying to make them all look racist. Just incredible. And then wrote the article. By the way, the chief told Detective Tibbs we shouldn't talk to her. And he said, no, we should be open to the public and talk. (laughs) And then after the article came out, the detective felt some remorse and was apologetic for it because it was written exactly how that writer, and that's what the chief said, she's going to write whatever she wants, no matter what we tell them. Now, this is 1990 is when this was produced, 33 the years ago. The more things change, the more things stay the same. And that's exactly what I thought. Like, 1990, trying so desperately to make that town in Mississippi – Still a hotbed of racism in the department. And there were no evidence. There was no evidence of that. And that's what 
the members of the department, black and white, told her. But that's not what she wrote. And I, I just couldn't help but think about how we see that in our society today, especially about our state. So many from outside of the state always try to cast us as, as you know, still living in 1863. They do. Still believe that's what's happening here. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that there's no such thing as racism in society. But guess what? It's not where they say it is. That's what bothers me. And they always portray it in a way that's not consistent with reality. And many of whom have never been here. You know that, and it's it's sickening, in my view. But I still maintain, in spite of our issues here in the state of Mississippi, that we have more racial harmony in this state than any other. I truly do believe that, and I see examples of it every day. Does that mean it doesn't exist? No, of course not. We're, we're flawed humans. We sin. Has it gotten better? By orders of magnitude that are immeasurable. We're stepping aside for a break. It's time for Fox News, Super Talk News. When we return, Scott Waller from the Mississippi Economic Council. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays is live with you from the Element Wealth Studio. Uh, get to a text real quick on the ceasefire text line. Sharon and Brandon says the Andy Griffith Christmas episode is the best ever. The true meaning of Christmas, being aware of others and reaching out to everyone, no matter their financial status. Appreciate that, Sharon. We welcome to the program now Scott Waller, President and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council. Good to see you there, Scott. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, all that good stuff. Merry Christmas to you as well. I hope you had a great day. Yes, sir, I did. Appreciate it. I uh, trust you did as well. It, what's amazing is that one one week from today, we're going to be back in session. <laughs> you are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the the great thing about the calendar is sometimes it could do that to you because uh, a lot of people pro- probably don't realize the session starts on the first Tuesday after the first Monday. So whenever it falls on Jan- Monday, falls on January 1st, you you start the next day and you're off and running. Yeah, so, so they, they better take it easy on, on New Year's <laughs> Day, be ready to get to work. On, uh, and it's a brand-new term. Brand-new term. That's Those are always fun because yeah. there's going to be – you know, more than 25 new legislators that we'll get an opportunity to get to know and, and meet. And we're excited about a number of them coming in that uh, that we've been working with already through uh, some of the partnerships that we have with MMA and BIPEC and others. And, yeah. you know, really feel like we've got a, a, a strong group of people coming in that's going to be, you know, adding to our folks who are already there. And look forward to a good session. Yeah. So, so but uh, an annual event that we always look forward to with you guys is Capital Day coming yeah. up. And, and, it, and it comes up on Thursday of on next Thursday. week. So, yeah, yeah, that's the other thing about when the when the first falls on that Monday, it uh, gets kind of tough for us because it, it really shortens that window. But we're we're excited. It's going to be a, a great day. We'll uh, start the morning uh, with registration at 830. The morning session will start at, at 9. We'll 
have a, a sit down visit with the governor which is those are always fun for me because we can just talk about things that are going on in the state that uh you know there's a lot of good things that have happened over the last four years and i want to make sure that we have a chance to talk about you know the economic growth the things that are taking place you know and and really focus on the future you know he came into a term where he started was welcome with covid natural disasters and you know, the first part of his term, that's yeah. what we focused on. Yeah. And now we're able to focus on some good things that are happening in the state. So. Yeah. So uh, that's going to be at the Trademark. At the correct. Trademark. The trademark, which is a great facility it is. for this. Um, it is. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And then we got our, our, our featured panel this year is, is we have three career coaches. You know, we started a career coach program across the state that Accelerate Mississippi, our Department of Workforce um, development runs that program or oversees it and so we've got three coaches coming in from different parts of the states talk about what this program means for the students that they serve and it's it's really an exciting program i think something that's going to continue to grow and pay long-term dividends uh we were talking about it the other day at uh i can't remember which meeting <laughs> and so many lately but yeah we were talking about the fact that you think about our our third grade reading gate and what it's meant for the state and it took about eight to ten years to really start to see the results of that. I think you're going to have the same kind of effect with what's happening, not only with um, the career coaches, but some of the things that are being done by the Office of Workforce Development. The folks at Accelerate are really doing a great job yep. laying some groundwork that we think is going to pay big dividends for us. So during the governor's first term, I, I think it's fair to say that we experienced a number of uh, wins from an economic expansion and growth perspective. The governor uh, is highly focused on that. No, without I, I, question. I certainly praise him for that. I have on this program. It's it's an area that uh, he sees as a primary responsibility, and, and he, he's always looking for the next deals, honestly. Well, quite frankly, when you think about it, I mean, and, and I, I know my numbers are going to be a little off because I don't have it right in front of me, but, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of almost $7 billion of capital investment in, in either new or expanding projects uh, for the state. Uh Probably over five thousand dollars, uh, five thousand jobs that have been created, and, and and those again are just some some basic numbers. It, it's really amazing when you think about what's happening, and of course the the, the project in Columbus with the aluminum uh, plant was the biggest of of the group, but it was still a major major win for our state. And I feel like there's more coming. And yeah, I think they're, they're, that people are going to really be surprised at what what's going to happen and, and what we're doing in Mississippi. I I agree. I do too. I think there's some uh, really uh, incredibly good news on the horizon uh, for the state of Mississippi from an economic expansion and, and development perspective, and in particular from a capital investment perspective. It's going to be some good stuff. So, to to what do you attribute? I mean, we we've been successful, and and we've seen companies that have felt like that our state uh, and communities within it are a good place to set up shop, to expand, to invest, to grow? What I, I do you think, think? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think it's a lot of a lot of work that's gone through the last few years, some things that have happened to to help change our image as a state. I mean, I know, you know, a lot of a lot of um, people will often point to the changing of the flag, which I think that was that was part of it. I agree. And then there's other things that you, you have a, a concentrated effort and quite frankly, you have some tremendous economic development professionals across this state. Yeah, we do. I mean, We're at the local level, we have some of the best that you'll find anywhere. 
and that's a big part of it. And, and what we do at MEC is we try to do the things that support them. You know, we a lot of people think we're the group that goes out and recruits. No, that's 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 the those guys that are really good at what they do. What we do is we talk to them and say, okay, what are you going to need from a legislative standpoint? What are you going to need from a workforce standpoint? And that's where we focus our attention at MEC to help make sure that policy that's passed at the Capitol has that type of impact to give them the tools necessary for them to be successful. Yeah. And, and when you think about what we've done with uh, eliminating the, the franchise tax, a, a few years ago we had a huge piece of legislation that, that we were very involved in that, that basically leveled the field from a tax um, you know, enforcement standpoint. didn't change taxes, but basically there were some things that were happening that we felt like the department was overstepping their bounds, and we, we mm-hmm. went in and, and got that passed. And then that led to the elimination of the franchise tax, the, the rebate or the tax credit on uh, inventory tax, which all have a big part on mm-hmm. it. And as you know, in the past couple of years, we're starting, we're in the process of seeing the personal income tax reduce. Mm-hmm. So all of those things from a tax perspective is helping create a stronger environment for the business community and then when you think about the the works that, that's going in on education and, and workforce development and, and again we got a long way to go but we got a really strong base to build on and i think that's where it all starts yeah i, I agree with you and uh something some feedback i've heard uh scott um uh, had the the pleasure and the privilege the honor of serving uh in economic development as a board member here in madison county and you know some feedback that we've received from prospective businesses that are that are looking at Mississippi is that we're just easy to do business with. That we're responsive. We don't have a lot of, of ridiculous red tape to cut right. through. And they have you know this. They have needs, and the the speed factor is big. yeah. That that's very quick. And when you think about it too. You know, to that point, the regulation side of it. Yeah. We, we are fortunate we have a Department of Environmental Quality that our, our businesses can work with and, and, you know, don't don't have to jump through tons of hoops. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about this the other day, uh, the fact that our energy costs are, yeah. are, are, are really low by comparison to most places right. in the country. And that's a big deal. So all of those things that are, you know, really a big part of making sure you have the things in place – and, and honestly, and you know this, you know, we, MEC was very involved back in, you know, 16, 17, and then uh, with some research that finally led to some major legislation on transportation, getting goods, you know, from from the facility to market are a big part of it. And we're seeing some major changes in transportation. And, and I think that what we're seeing with the Department of Transportation right now under Brad White's leadership is, is making a huge difference in how we approach things with transportation. So... You know, we've got great leaders all throughout this state. And then when you get into what the legislature's done is, is, is the fact that we've been able to work with Lieutenant Governor Hoseman, uh, Speaker Gunn, and looking forward to working with, with soon-to-be Speaker White mm-hmm. because they have that same focus that helps us really look at, is this legislation going to pay dividends for the state? And I think that's that's what makes a difference. Yeah, I, I agree on all points, uh, absolutely. and I, And I think that... We, we have a pro-business uh, political leadership team. It, exactly. it sure feels, does it not? I it mean, does. all of our statewide leaders and then those in our legislature. And, and, and the governor has said this on multiple occasions. And I know that, you know, think about this past year because you're in an election year. But, I mean, he spends a great deal of his time. He is very involved in the economic no doubt. side of it. He wants to know what's going on. He wants to meet 
with people. And, and I think that's a big part of how all this comes together is that if you've got a commitment at the top, then that gives those that are, you know, working down on the ground yep. all the way to the local level, uh, you know, the ability to go out and do something and hopefully, you know, we, we'll see the dividends of that. And, and we yeah. have. We've already we've already seen them at a pace much greater than we ever have in the past. So yeah. it's, it's a big deal. Something else we should point out is that uh, uh, energy capacity and availability of energy is, is a big deal as well. It's a big deal and something we're going to have to be thinking about long term. Long term, no doubt about it. So. Uh, you got to go. You want to hang around and yeah, kind of share with us what your legislative priorities sure. are? Happy to. All right. We got Scott Walter, President and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council, in the Element Well Studio coming right back. Right off my feet. How, 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 how. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. We are in the Element Well Studio. It is middays, the day after Christmas. We got Scott Waller, President and CEO of the Mississippi Economic Council. So again, uh, Scott, MEC Capital Day next Thursday, next Thursday, uh, January fourth, and uh, we'll like I said, crank up that morning at the with registration beginning eight thirty at the trademark, trademark. a morning session with the governor and 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 the. Um, our career coach system. Then we we take buses over to the Capitol, and this is what's always made. Right. That's what's always that's why we made call it Capitol Day. It's always made it unique. We <laughs> we, we load up on buses, go over and, and fill up room uh, two sixteen, the old Supreme Court chambers yeah. that, that they typically are packed in there. Yeah, <clears throat> some people stand in the hall. Over in the hall, right? But but honestly, a lot of people go just to be able to hang out at the Capitol that's and, right. and see their legislator yeah. and people they know. But we'll hear from you know Lieutenant Governor and, and, and Speaker in the pro tems for sure. And you know with a new term, we don't have we probably won't have committee chairman by Thursday right. because that usually that's takes right. a little bit of time. But as the week as the year goes on, one of the things we do at MEC that's kind of neat is our, our MEC scrambler. We hold those on Wednesday mornings. Uh, do about five of them throughout the session, which is a breakfast uh, downtown, okay. the art museum. But we also stream it online because we realize. People are probably not going to drive to Jackson, just have breakfast and hear a couple of legislators, but yeah. they may log on and listen. We, we have a tremendous amount of, of people who watch it online with us. So, so it's just another way to keep our, our members connected okay. here. Uh, you know, when you when you have a state the size of Mississippi and and everything everything is sort of Jackson centric when it comes to legislative issues. But for people in Tupelo, the Gulf Coast, Corinth, and, and other places, it, it's hard for them to get down to Jackson. So we try to offer that as a service to help our members understand what's going on to the legislature. Okay, so the uh, the new term and new session getting underway next week, uh, exactly a week from today, 
as the voice, the advocate for Mississippi business, what are you guys going to be uh, prioritizing? Well, as you as you probably recall, when we did our Scary Mississippi's Future Vision Report that was released in, in 2022, uh, workforce development was the key thing. Having an available, ta- you know, a skilled workforce mm-hmm. is a key for, for our businesses. No matter, we did 51 small group sessions across the state, and that issue came up number one every single time. So... A lot of the work that's taking place, the creation of the Office of Workforce Development has, has allowed us to start to build on those things. And one of the key things to me is helping students, particularly high school students, find their right career pathway. And that could be a variety. It could be a four-year college degree pathway. It could be a, a community college associate's degree that puts you to work. Or it could be a certification program, which 95% of those are done in our community colleges as well. So I've, I've talked about how do we rethink college but how do we build that so the career coach program actually helps put people in those right places because all three of those are very um, very important pathways and the career coaches help with all three of those and i think that's one of the things that i think gets lost is it's not just the career technical education that they're focusing on they're focusing on what's right for the student and i think that's where we really have to start thinking differently about how we are you know with with not only how we do K-12 education, but how we look at the success of K-12 education is yeah. what is the outcome. And so we've got the three um, the three career coaches that are going to speak at, at the Capital Day event to talk about kind of their experiences, kind of some some things they can tell us about what's happened with the students, how they got into this, what it means for the students. And that's important because right now we are only about two-thirds of the way of funding career enough funding for career coaches in every high school across the state okay so we feel like that's a big part of what we've got to do is make sure that we continue to increase that funding and make sure we have the opportunity for any school that wants it it's not a requirement right now i'd love for it to see that see that happen i'd love for it to be in the accountability system that it get schools get credit for doing this because i think it's such a great program I, I was on a call with a group of people from across the country on um wednesday of last week and one of the things that in the in the it was a Zoom call and, and and one of the things that's brought up was was the career coach program in Mississippi as being a leader because it's something that's completely different than than what you have anywhere else. It started with Create up in Northeast Mississippi where they hired the coaches themselves and put them in the schools. So part of the reason that this is under accelerated, not under MDE, is because you want to keep you want to keep that separation. These these people are in the school system to do one thing. That's partner with with the principal, the counselors, and others, but mainly to work with the students, and that's their one job. And so that that's worked out well. So that that's going to be one of our key priorities that we'll be looking at is how, how do we continue to build on that. The other priority is some, <clears throat> excuse me, something that I think that has gotten a lot of talk, and that is how, how can we really look at creating – better access for health care for working Mississippians. And I know okay. the, the, the 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 speaker nominee, uh, Jason White, has had a, a lot of conversation about this, has talked about it. He and I have actually talked about it as well. I know it's a priority for the lieutenant governor to figure out a way. How do, how do we build that? How do we look at what some other models that other places have done that focus on providing that, that access primarily for, for the working Mississippians that aren't making enough money to either afford or have health care provided to them, 
uh, in terms of insurance. So I think that's one of the things that's coming up that, that's going to be a, a big, big, big deal for for everybody. And then, and then on the education front, and this is this is probably more administrative than it is legislative. But there may be a couple of things. Is one of our our, our initiatives right now is looking at the K twelve accountability model. How do we get how do we get away from the four tests that are given each year having such a being weighted so greatly in that model? A lot of people don't know four tests and it's not even the, how you do in that subject it's how you do in that one day when you take that test makes up 70% of our accountability model in the state of Mississippi. Career technical education makes up uh 5%. Hmm. And those those tests are required by the federal government, so you have to do them. But we think there's some ways to do it in a, in a way that, that focuses more on the long-term outcome of the student than the one-day outcome of the test. Yeah. And so we're, we're working to make sure that, that the Department of Education has everything they need to be able to do this. So if there's anything that has to be done from a legislative standpoint, we want to do this. And I think it's something that many of our legislators are ready to do something like and I'm like, let's let's give them that opportunity to to build a, a, a accountability system that will work for for all students. We we call it student centered instead of test centered, uh, and how we help get kids on that right pathway, which is where those career coaches and all those other things come into play. So, you know, there's a lot of things out there that are really important right now that we feel like can help drive building that that workforce that we need, but. That will then create jobs, which then creates opportunities to then keep more Mississippians at home. You know, what we like to call talent retention and attraction, bringing people in. Uh, you know, many people just will refer to it as brain drain. I've tried to, I've tried to avoid <laughs> that because what I've learned, we did, we did 12 sessions with young professionals across the state uh, about a year ago. And what we learned is we have some very bright young people in this state that have decided to stay or either have moved here from other places. So I think that's very unfair to say that everybody that, that is leaving, yeah. we, we they're not. But we, we really have some, some really sharp uh, young people that fall into that, that well, we put it that kind of up to 40 age group that, that really are, are going to be the future of our state. How sure. do we build on that and how do we make that stronger? Well, the key is, uh, of course, creating those opportunities for them exactly. and that's, that's why we got to expand our economy and keep working on that and there'll be more opportunities and we'll retain more and, and you know that's the thing is we we we, we for when i first started mec the term we used was middle skill because what we you know we were trying to translate from a lot of our manufacturing jobs being low skill to middle skill and then ultimately we feel like we translate into higher skill job mm-hmm. i think we've got an across the board group now but we just got to make sure that we we one are letting people know what the opportunities are and two training them properly so that we can can really take advantage of it as we go forward yeah well, it's good. So that's uh, that sounds like a full slate, yeah, it, uh, Scott. It will be. It, it doesn't take but two or three things to have you a full slate. Yeah, well, that's for right. sure. That's right. Anyway, and of course, as you know, with uh, with a new term uh, comes lots of new members, and those so there's a a, a bit of a uh, an acclimation that I uh, think is required. Yes, you know that. exactly. There is a you know we were talking about the the new members that are coming in, but you know part of what happens too is you have a lot of changes with committee chairman and yeah. and others because people have moved around and gone and, and the, the committee members themselves. So you know a, a, a lot of this we'll have to figure out. Okay, who who is the chairman we go work with on this issue? <laughs> who, who are the committee members? Because yeah. in, in our process in Mississippi, that's where it all starts. It starts at the committee level. 
if you can't make any progress there, you, you, you're, it, dead. you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, and when it dies, it dies, dies. pretty quick. I mean, see you, the may, light of day. you may have a couple of options in other bills, but it's it's just that way our system works. It's great. I actually think it's a great I system. If you stayed, if everything stayed open to the very end, it would be total chaos. And no doubt, and we've got a, a really good system. But appreciate the update. Well, listen, thank you, thank you so much for letting me come in today. Great to see you uh, again. Happy holidays, and, and, and glad. Hope everybody had a merry Christmas, and look forward to a great new year. Absolutely, and we look forward to MEC's Capital Day. That is a Thursday, January the fourth at the Mississippi Trademark. Registration begins at eight thirty. Is that right? That's it. All right. Look forward to it, Scott. Good to see you, sir. Thank Good to see you. you. Thank you so much. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. Please stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. It is middays, this day after Christmas. We're here. There ain't too many other people in this building. Even <laughs> got the gate closed out there. I know. I saw that. And uh, the parking lot was awfully empty. Got the Bob Euchre spot. Yeah, Must don't, be on the front row. <laughs> don't tell anybody I parked in the visitor spot today. <laughs> <laughs> but there wasn't anybody else here, so I splurged a bit, shortened the walk. Wow. So on the ceasefire text line, Joe Equipment says, I realize it was filmed in the early 90s, but still the flip side is that a Hollywood TV show actually portrayed a negative view of a news reporter, even if it was staged in our Mississippi. And that is in reference to the story I shared about watching an episode of In the Heat of the Night, the television series, In the Heat of the Night. And this episode involved a, uh, a reporter that was uh, attempting to uh, do an expose, honestly, and to, to find... Uh, evidence of racism in the Spada Police Department, Chief Gillespie, and of course Detective Virgil Tibbs couldn't find any, no matter how hard she tried, and now she tried to um, almost influence (laughs) the folks that she talked to in their discussion of various events that had occurred. I hear you, Joe. Um, I I guess I I would say that I don't know what's wrong with with uh, portraying a news reporter as negative because the news reporter w- uh, really practiced yellow journalism at the end of the day. So I would consider that negative. Unfortunately, I would say Joe that there there are there is fairly strong uh, examples and evidence of Mississippi. 
being portrayed in a negative light, even when it's not true. And that is uh, that has always bothered me, and it's typically done by people who haven't who haven't been to our state, who really only dwell on, focus on, and and report the negative. We're humans here. We have negative, but we have a whole lot more positive that dramatically outweighs the negative. You don't see a lot about the positive. That's what's always concerned me. But that is it not true, Rhino? That's to to some extent how our journalism has evolved. Even what is supposed to be just factual reporting has kind of been reduced to insertion of opinion. And I'm not talking about opinion pieces. That's what they are. Right. I'm talking about news. And it's more prevalent, of course, today because in in uh, television, and then now we learn that most young folks, they get their news from TikTok and Instagram by a long shot over other sources. And that's a concern, especially when you consider that TikTok is the property of the CCP. And there's no doubt that they're including message and content designed to influence young Americans in a way that benefits China and hurts this country. I don't think there's any question about that. The problem, of course, is... I think there was even a study... Is it Rutgers that... I don't think they did the full study. I think they helped with an organization, but I can't remember what it... Maybe it was... I can't remember. It had some acronym like NRCI or something, but Rutgers was the university that helped out with the study, and it was a study on TikTok hmm. and the portrayal of Chinese interests. And they found that the algorithm on TikTok overwhelmingly shows on your feed ideals and policies that are favorable to China's geopolitical interests. Unbelievable. I sure do wish that we could uh, we could get folks, or that folks would be a little bit more open to consuming a, a wide a news from a wide spectrum of of sources, because you you quickly realize just how much hyperbole and and how much. I don't want to say fabrication, although there is some of that, but certainly, uh, let's just say manipulation of fact. Well, there's there's three things that have really compounded the public's mistrust of news media. I mean, you, you go back to the old adage, it ble- if it bleeds, it leads. So you're going to get the bad stories right out of the gate because they draw the most attention. So that's the first layer. Then you add on the layer of clickbaiting, mm-hmm. where you you really need to have a, a title that's going to grab the attention, but not in the way you think of a headline, where it's trying to give you a synopsis of it in a, in a very succinct headline. No, the headline needs to get you to click on the link. The headline needs you to go to the story, to the website, so that 
they get the revenue from the ads on the website. They get the click-throughs for their whatevers. So you've got, if it bleeds, it leads, where you just get the, the worst of the worst stories first. You've got clickbaiting, where you don't get the story in the headline, and some, sometimes you get a misleading headline in the clickbait. And then you add on top of that this need to be first. There's no real, it, it doesn't seem like there's a desire for checking with sources or verification. I mean, I'm not saying that's all news. I'm saying that's the worst of the worst in news. Yeah. And those, because if it bleeds, it leads, tend to get the most attention. So if you've got bad news coming right out of the gate, you're getting misled by the clickbaity headline, and it may not even be factual because it was never double-checked because they just wanted to be the first one to get it out there, you wind up with a whole lot of mistrust in news media. It happens all the time. We see it all the time. They they jump to conclusions and start sticking that out there, don't really care if it's been confirmed or not. No doubt. How about Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? She, over the weekend, compared the Palestinians' experience with Jesus' birth. She said, in the story of Christmas... Christ was born in modern-day Palestine under the threat of a government engaged in the massacre of innocents. He was part of a targeted population being indiscriminately killed to protect an unjust leader's power. Huh? She said Mary and Joseph were displaced by violence and forced to flee, became refugees in Egypt with a newborn waiting to one day return home. Thousands of years later, Right-wing forces are violently occupying Bethlehem as similar stories unfold for today's Palestinians. So much so that the Christian community in Bethlehem has canceled this year's Christmas Eve celebrations out of both safety and respect. So, Israel is a violent right-wing occupying force? She makes no mention of Hamas? The terror that they have wielded, it's like they're just innocent. Innocent, helpless civilians just suffering at the hands of Israelis. Well, when you have an infantile viewpoint of the world, you don't want to get into the nitty-gritty and the gray area of reality. Not everything is clear-cut black and white. Not everything is clear-cut right and wrong, but you hide wrongdoing because it doesn't fit your narrative. Evidently, that would be the case here. That's kind of sad. And then you probably saw that pro-Palestinian groups, protesters, they took to the streets of New York chanting, Christmas is canceled. And they carried around nativity scenes that were where they were mocking the birth of Jesus by including paint designed to represent blood on the nativity scenes. They went to the streets. Long live the infantafida. I can't even say it anymore. Antifada. The crowd of about 500 yelled in the streets of New York using the Arabic word. That's what... Uh, the word is 
for rebellion or uprising. They mobbed uh, the Rockefeller Center, it was reported, Christmas tree, where revelers were enjoying the holiday. Unbelievable. I did see what... They're miserable and they want you to be miserable, That is exactly right. That's precisely right. No doubt about it. Seven aside for a break, another segment this hour, then the afternoon portion of Middays. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's middays live in the element well studio well, let's see bobby and batesville said the terrorist attack at the point of entry in canada comes uh, to mind <laughs> yeah because that was a malfunction of the vehicle no doubt about it but because the malfunction was so major it caused an explosion and when you first look at it it's like wow that really does look bad Yep. It looks like a bomb went off. Yep. Totally agree. And they uh, they jumped all over that thing um, prematurely because they they wanted it. I mean, it's a jackpot for them, any, any of that sort of stuff. It, it's pretty much any altercation involving a police officer. They always, I mean, they're just, they're, they're just, um, they don't wait a long time to get that news out. Like you said, uh, got a, got a, what do you say? Bleeds, leads. If it bleeds, if it bleeds, it leads. leads. Right. That's what they try to do. But more importantly, they they try to attribute the wrongdoing to uh, someone who fits their political narrative. Honestly, it's what it's all about. Mister GG, I will try to watch the streaming of the state legislature. It looks like the Senate and House will convene at the same time. Is there some kind of schedule of topics and times? This may be an irrelevant question. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, DJ, that that's that's published daily. Uh, the agenda for the day that you can find that on the websites associated with each body. And there's a Mississippi State Legislature website as well that uh, I think publishes a schedule on a daily basis. You can see what's going on in the House, what's going on in the Senate, including committee meetings, legislation they'll be taking up, et cetera. So, yeah, if you go to legislature.ms.gov, yep. there's a little drop-down kind of menu there. It says calendars and schedules. There you go. And you can see the House calendar, the House schedule, the Senate calendar, the Senate schedule, and the Senate committee agendas. The, on the ceasefire text line, the young adults of today, we're just talking about news sources sort of based on the age groups the young adults of today don't even know what the ccp is <laughs> I was talking about the ccp the chinese communist party which of course controls tiktok which is a major source of news for 
uh, that age group, those age groups, and as is Instagram. Schools are not teaching anything relevant or accurate much these days. Yeah, I don't know that that's 100% true. I mean, they, there there is a lot of content that's relevant, that's accurate. But I agree with you in that um, there, there could be some improvements made there. I don't think there's any question about that. Well, there would have had to have been major changes since I was in school as far as relevance when it comes to current events. Because just about any history class I was in, it never got very far past World War II. Yeah. You might have gotten to Vietnam. You maybe rarely got to the economic struggles of the 80s. But that was it. I think that's largely true. And I, and I wondered if, and it, by the way, same when I was in school, and of course uh, we weren't too far or in the middle of Vietnam. I mean, 72 is gener- genuinely generally, pardon me, considered the end of Vietnam, and I was in school then, uh, but not a whole lot even about the the tumult of the 60s, you know, once I was in high school in the 70s. The closest thing I got to learning about current events in a history class was learning the meaning of all the different lines from We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, that was a history lesson into itself in about two and a half minutes, right? But that was always right at the end of the semester as kind of a, hey, here's something to do before finals. It, it might be worth extra points. Write a sentence or two about each line. Yeah, including uh, Ole Miss, of course, is mentioned in that, and that was about the integration of the university occurring there in the 60s. Yeah, so. And you compare that to spending a couple weeks on the Industrial Revolution and muckrakers and yellow journalism. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder if, of course, as time goes on, we create more history and there's so much content, we just sort of hadn't added all the more recent history to the curriculum. I mean, and that's that's sad. Maybe maybe we need more history courses. I don't know. Maybe, you know, because you're right. I kind of remember American history and world history and Mississippi history. That's what I remember from a history course perspective. I don't know how different that is than uh, the present day coursework. I don't know. But that's what I remember. Mississippi history, civics, the ninth grade. I want to say it was world history in the 10th and American history in the 11th. It's kind of what sticks in my head there. And there was, but you're right. A whole lot has happened since then. I mean, my daughter as a teacher even said that there was little attention paid to 9-11, for example. And she would always make a point on 9-11 to spend the whole class talking just about that event. I think that's important. I applaud her for that. Well, it's time for a break here. we got Fox News and Super Talk News coming your way. And then the afternoon portion of Midday, stay with us. And now, and now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays in the Element Wealth Studio. We are live today, the day after Christmas. Rhino and I will be here all week keeping you informed and uh, hopefully a little bit entertained. I hope you're having a, a great week. Many folks, of course, take this week off between Christmas and New Year's. And we hope you enjoy it and spend it with family and friends and Lots of good stuff to eat. The weather looks okay. Uh, going to be mostly sunny. Uh, going to get a little chilly. A little bit, yeah. By the weekend, though. You remember this time last year, for reason. I remember um, doing the show at Carter Jewelers Christmas Eve, or that last one before Christmas Eve, and it was brutal cold. Remember that? It took out lots of the vegetation, and then we got be set with a heat wave and a drought in the August-September time frame. You've probably noticed lots of pine trees did not survive. Struggling. Yeah, I would imagine that they get stressed from the heat and drought, and then the beetles feast on them. Pretty much does them in. I had to remove one from my yard. Pretty good business to be in, the tree service business, huh? This I just double-checked. Looks like the weatherman has updated it to the beginning of next week when the temperatures get below freezing. Okay. For a large swath of the Magnolia State. Okay. Mainly northern Mississippi, but could reach central and southern Mississippi. New Year's Day, then? Yeah. Seems like it. Just in time for a those... cool, that... crisp night for fireworks. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, I was thinking about those zany legislators. They're going to gather up underneath the Capitol, and they meet uh, four months, typically, in the first session of the new term. And as Scott Waller from the Mississippi Economic Council said earlier on the program, we don't know who all those committee chair folks are going to be at this point. I hazard to even guess, honestly. You just don't know if uh, folks returning stay in their same assigned committee chair positions, or if we get some uh, some musical chairs going on there, and that's honestly more literal than you, th- than you know <laughs> when you think about what those committee meetings look like. Uh, and then the MEC Capital Day next Thursday, looking forward to that. I know uh, the Gallo Show will be broadcasting live. I'm hearing that we may be down there as well. I think we were last year, and we'll, I'm sure, talk to many of our elected officials as part of that remote event. i got to tell you, Rhino, the trademark is a much better venue for that event, certainly than the old trademark, and in my view, even the Coliseum. It's just, I think, better configured. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you know what I mean there. So looking forward to that. I think that was a good investment on the part of the state of Mississippi. So muchly, so much needed, desperate, honestly, for something new. The old one that just got old. So we look forward to that. And, of course, Commissioner Andy Gibson, he dug his own well down there, right? Got their own water supply, not relying on the city of Jackson, which is proven to be unreliable from a water perspective. We have concerns about that for sure. Always crazy stuff going on in the uh, world of transgenderism. Hate to even bring this up, 
the day after Christmas. But it's something I think we all should pay a little attention to, and that and that's a story involving a transgender model in New York City sued the talent agency for killing his career because they claimed he was, I know this is shocking, insufficiently masculine to work in men's fashion. Now, you know, as far as... That's saying something. Yeah. Because it's not like they got John Wayne walking down the catwalk <laughs> showing off the latest in men's fashion. That's true. Uh, I, I'm looking at this particular model, Francis Coombe, C-O-O-M-B-E. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it or not. Could be Coombe, Coombe, C-O-O-M-B-E, 30 years old, Canadian catwalk model, filed a federal lawsuit. Do I have right said Fred in here? <laughs> Requesting more than 300K in lost income, seeking damages for emotional distress over the downfall of his reputation and career. Unbelievable. This is the Muse Model Management is the name of the organization. He's walked for the likes of Mark Jacobs and Gucci. He told his agency that he, his talent agency, that he no longer wanted to model as a female and requested to do male work. Allegedly refused in the agency, this Muse agency outfit, refused and constructively terminated. I think that's a legal term. That means it was uh, they're trying to cover their base and say it was lawful termination. It was it was cause, not convenience. The other legal term we hear, a wrongful termination, is what you hear typically ascribed to such action. It does sound a little oxymoronic, though. What's that? Constructive termination. <laughs> it's true. Now, but then again, that's legalese. Uh, it's exactly right, and it intentionally is supposed to be kind of weird and confusing. So I'm looking at photos of this person. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, they don't look masculine. She, because this is a biological she, doesn't look masculine one iota just looking at the photos. I mean, it would, if you're trying to sell stuff, from, I guess, a masculine perspective or kind of associated with masculinity, it doesn't really do it, in my view. So the the thing that worries me about this is if this person prevails, I mean, the ramifications that would have just in business and industry in general, already that's a, a sticky area, if you think about it, where you've got to meet certain physical looks, standards, to to qualify for a job like that. A model, for example, is one of those. I mean, and it applies to a number of other occupations as well. We won't get into that, but you guys know what we're talking about there. And if the court starts saying, no, you you got to keep this person on board, or in this case, they're going to have to pay damages because they found that this individual was uh, 
not really valuable, not beneficial to the company's bottom line. It is a business, a for-profit business, but of course, for-profit in the halls of liberalism is considered um, a vile, vulgar, obscene idea. Uh, and that's a concern. So I, I get I get worried about how this whole this whole quest for equity and DEI because this is this is really what this is, right? This is right out of the DEI playbook. Don't forget, folks, we have rebranded the acronym. It is discrimination, exclusion, and inequity here on middays. That's what DEI stands for. So I get I get concerned that stuff like this becomes part of the theme in policy making like in in the IRS we just we we apply the tax system differently in this quest for equity as an example and and there you could just go down the list of of other possibilities there that are disturbing but uh yeah this person just doesn't look like it to me um that they would be, and so when I look at this person in their prior modeling life as a female, I'd say, yeah, they look like a reasonable female model. I wouldn't exactly call them drop dead gorgeous, but a lot of the female models aren't necessarily that anymore. It's yeah, more, they're just looking more for a a specific size and and body shape, so yeah. that their their fashion is what is the focal point, and not the beauty of the model. It, the physique. It yeah. is is more important, and of course, their ability to to a catwalk, their ability to showcase it, to to walk it, to present it. It's the difference in a model and a supermodel. Okay, I buy that. But this person looks reasonable. I could say, yeah, they they kind of fit the uh, the profile for that. But then when they transition to a male, no, you're still a girl, a <laughs> dude. <laughs> you may think you're a dude. You're still a girl. You don't really fit the profile of a male. So I think the uh, the agency here had a pretty strong case for their action. And so sorry. Go back to being what you are, a female. You want to be a model. Coming right back. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's middays so the uh, crisis at the border rages on migrants spilling across on a daily basis some 10 to 12,000 totally ridiculous the Biden administration seemingly with no desire to secure the border implement any policies that would stem the flow. 
Well, at least one governor took to social media to, I guess, make a bit of a mockery of the situation. His state, like so many, overwhelmed with the flow of migrants coming across the southern border. Colorado Governor Jared Polis. <laughs> you got to hear this this uh, this uh, this little video he produced. You can't see it. We'll post it. It's cringeworthy. Here we go. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. <laughs> Feliz Navidad. Prospero año y felicidad. <laughs> The dancing is really what's just hilarious. I mean, the dancing is the the icing on the cake. The 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 generic Christmas jingle in the background because I guess he didn't want to use instrumental version of Feliz Navidad to sing along to. Uh, It's totally cringeworthy, and he sings off pitch there as well. Uh, Social media. Folks out on social media, of course, they they express their opinions. As cringe as this is, it doesn't begin to compare to the damage you've done to this state, said one ex-user. Another said, this is one of the worst things I've seen all year. Who walked into your office and said that this was a good idea? <laughs> I agree. Who said that? Who convinced him to go out and do that? Incredible. Yeah, that that looks like a kind of video you would have to do after losing a season of fantasy football or something. <laughs> Another said, this is ridiculous, and you look as uncomfortable doing it as I did watching it. What was, what was the real purpose of this? The one user wrote this in Spanish under the video, because if I were of Latin descent, I would make fun of you instead of thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote for that guy. <laughs> Another said it's cultural appropriation. I was about to say, at... where's the cultural appropriation, there you go. <laughs> Yep. Questionable dancing, as you said, at a minimum. And then uh, the off-key uh, singing there. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, it is nice to have a politician that is willing to... I guess be the butt of the joke, even if they didn't realize they were. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I don't know if that's what he was attempting to do. Was he self-deprecating here? Or, I mean, it could have been his way of just mocking the whole situation, which is ridiculous. There's no doubt. And his state is suffering because of Biden's uh, lack of control of the border. There's no doubt about that. It's a big old problem. Totally crazy. I uh, I enjoyed that, though, I'll say. My old buddy Robert Reich. I, I used that, uh, of course, with tongue-in-cheek, that description. Yeah, he had to have uh, his say over the weekend as well. Always focused on inequality. Trump's tax cuts for the rich have added $2 trillion to the debt. Now he's promising even more tax cuts for people who are, quote, rich as hell. If we, quote, can't afford 
student debt relief or universal health care or paid family leave. These handouts to the rich are why. He ain't very good at math, of course. It's, Which is ironic, considering what he's been paid to do for the last decade or that, the last several decades. That is true. And I, I ask again, well, you're spending $2 trillion more than we take in. You're telling me that a more tax revenue is what you need to implement these programs? You're already spending $2 trillion more than we take in, without concern, seemingly. And by the way, once again, the $2 trillion he refers to is over 10 years. And it's not really $2 trillion, according to the CBO, before the Trump tax cuts passed. It was $1.7. I mean, I know it's only $300 billion over 10 years. But just for math perspective, let's just say it is $2. It's over 10 years. But when he posts that, the average person thinks, gosh, we're losing out on $2 trillion a year of tax revenue. No, $2 trillion over 10 because that's how the CBO scores all spending and revenue measures. So I agree, $200 billion is something over t- giving you the benefit of the doubt, but you're wrong that it is truly $2 trillion. $200 billion a year, it ain't nothing. But it's a $6.3 trillion budget. So, in that respect, it's not exactly the favorite word Rhino likes to use, panacea, that you sort of position it as in these goofy posts you make all the time. All you're trying to do is gen up class warfare. That's it. Right out of the Marxist playbook, honestly. So it's $200 billion. Now... Remember the story I shared back in August? The CBO reports we make, and there's more attention being paid to this. Rand Paul is promoting this. He always does at the end of the year, all the crazy, wasteful spending that comes out of Washington. The CBO, which, by the way, is is under the purview of Joe Biden, President Joe Biden at this point, it reported in August that improper payments amount to $260 billion a year. 260. Where are you on that, Mr. Wright? You're okay with that. You look the other way on that. By the way, you've heard me report that the deficit for 2023 numerous times was, was sitting at about $2 trillion. Turns out that it's only $1.7 after all the money has been accounted for in spending and in revenue. And here's why. The IRS has been cracking down, and it just collected over the last few months about $300 billion more than initially was paid in as a result of audits and finding improperly filed tax returns. Now, as much as I hate taxes, it is the law, and you got to pay what you're legally obliged to to pay. Simple as that. We reduce taxes not not by defrauding the system. We reduce taxes through law. But but they have been busy, and uh, the IRS, like so much of government 
has archaic information technology, and they have been implementing some more sophisticated technology. That that part of the additional spending for the IRS, I support some ten billion of the eighty billion in the Inflation Reduction Act. I think that's the most effective way to identify tax returns that uh, did not arrive at the right amount and to find taxpayers who owe but didn't pay through technology. I think that's the most effective way to do that, most cost-effective for the taxpayers, and certainly produces way more bang for the buck. But this is just another situation where Wright spouts all this stuff, and he is totally wrong. In addition, on the economic front, 25 states, I found this shocking, will hike the minimum wage in 2024. 25 states, half the country, half the states. I don't know how many people are affected, but the hourly workers in half of those states are going to see an increase in the minimum wage. Uh, Okay. The left-leaning Economic Policy Institute estimated last Thursday that this increase will boost pay by $6.95 billion for 9.9 million workers. Of course, the employers just have to hit the hip, come up with the money. Toto bumping us out of this segment. One of my favorites there. Coming right back with half an hour left on Middays in the Element Well studio. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. China Grove, the Doobie Brothers. Classic rock and roll there here in the Element Well studio. Appreciate that, Rhino. Karen in Oxford on the C Spire text line. Weren't those thousand-plus page bills that Nancy forced through without the time for everyone to read and still haven't taxation without representation? None of us selected Pelosi. Well, I hear you, Karen. Um, you know, that's how they roll there in Washington. And, and keep in mind that Nancy Pelosi can't dictate tax policy unilaterally. That would require uh, that the measures pass both chambers and then be signed into law by the president. And they were. So on that basis, I'd have to say, no, we had representation. These bills, no doubt, they're they're long, they're brutally complicated, and I don't know exactly what the proficiency level is with complex tax policy among the 435 in the House and the 100 in the Senate and then in the White House. When you get into some of the gory details, thousands and thousands of pages of IRS regulations, 
they would say, Karen, just being devil's advocate here for a second, I share your concern about these bills getting rammed through that uh, sometimes are not totally understood by those who vote for them. And we have the same thing happens here in the legislatures. Rhino knows, what, 3,000 bills a year get dropped. At least. And and often the uh, the members, once they get out of committee, as uh, Scott Waller talked about, the committee process in the, in the structure in the state of Mississippi is important because a bill has to pass committee, and the committee chair, honestly, has a lot of power in that regard. Um, once they advance to the floor, it's going to be presented, uh, is the bill, by a sponsor slash author. And, and, there's, and there's debate, there's questions back and forth, but to a great extent, you're relying on the person presenting the bill and the way they're presenting it uh, to cast your vote. It's impossible. There simply aren't enough hours in the day to read everything, every every word of every bill that comes through. It's even worse at the federal level, where the measures are considerably longer, more voluminous. But they would say, well, gee, you passed the Trump tax cuts, kind of rammed those through. We didn't get a chance to read those. And again, those passed with a simple majority in the House. And um, they scored in a way that permitted the measure, did the Trump tax cuts, TCJA, the name of the bill itself, uh, could pass in the Senate with a simple majority under what's called reconciliation rules and then on to the president's desk for signature. And the reason the individual provisions, the cuts there, are set to expire at the end of 25 is because there were not sufficient number of votes in the Senate to pass on a supermajority basis to um, uh, to counter the filibuster, which is still a provision that's in place. Mitch McConnell would not see fit when he was the majority leader in the Senate to end the filibuster. And, you know, to some extent, you'll have to say, well, Chuck Schumer did it, at least for purposes of approving uh, U.S. Supreme Court candidates. And as a result, we were able to get Trump's appointments approved in the Senate. So Schumer, you could argue, got burned by his, uh, his own policy there. So that's where you get into just the complexities of the so-called sausage sausage making and and passing of law. But the reason the Trump individual tax cuts expire in a couple of years is because had they extended further, uh, the numbers would have been different as far as the revenue impact as estimated by the um, the CBO. And, it, and that would have required 60 votes in the Senate. And so the decision was to pass the the law on a simple majority and to use the reconciliation process to do so and thus uh, craft the legislation in a way that's, that stayed within the, the guidelines, the, the dollar guidelines, allowing um, – Legislation will be passed with a simple majority there in the Senate. So 
Yeah, it's uh, and they're going to be back uh, in the at the Capitol here in a few days, and they'll only have a handful remaining to keep the government from shutting down. They'll need to come up with some sort of funding because we only got enough to last us through. I think it's January 25th, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere towards the end of January. It was, it was a two-prong uh, scenario that Speaker of the House Mike Johnson wanted, and then the other is February the 2nd. That's the other deadline. Nonetheless, the Congress is going to have to either pass those spending bills, I think five remain of the 12, through regular order, or once again they're facing another continuing resolution, or the other alternative is to let the spending lapse that has already been accounted for in the continuing resolution under which the government is presently operating. And we'd be back to square one again with yet another shutdown or facing another continuing resolution. I'm not terribly confident that we're going to see consensus and get these five bills passed. I really am not. There, there just seems to be too much separation, certainly in the parties, on what those spending bills should look like. Again, all 12 of those bills just deal with the discretionary component of spending, which is only 30% of total spending. They do not address the mandatory programs. So, And, and they are structured across 12 uh, bills in regular order that fund those various departments and those various areas of government. Seven have passed, House and Senate. Five have not. We shall see where all that lands. It's hard to believe, but in less than a week, 2024 arrives, and I guess we could say officially we're in full swing for election of the president, numerous senators, 31, I think. It's a bunch. Every House member up for re-election. Gosh, it seems like we just got through with all that, certainly on the House. It seemed like yesterday we were interviewing House candidates in this studio, right, for for the 22 midterms. Here we go again, as they say. The never-ending political grind. Yep. I think it looks pretty good for the Republicans to flip some Senate seats. John Tester in Montana is one of those, a Democrat, often caucuses with the Democrats. He's vulnerable. You got Joe Manchin in West Virginia, who I don't know that that's that tremendous a, a get when you consider that he honestly blocked a lot of the the Democrats' agenda, certainly in the in the uh, Senate. And then you got uh, I think it's Bob Casey in Pennsylvania. Just kind of recall he's another one. It's vulnerable. Kristen Cinema, Kirsten Cinema in Arizona, also vulnerable. Uh, Sherrod Brown, I think, is up in Ohio. Uh, vulnerable and uh, or maybe retiring. Debbie Dingle in in is it Michigan also retiring. So there's some um, there's some room to flip some seats and change the balance of power in the Senate, which is huge, critical when you think about Supreme Court appointments, uh, cabinet members, just getting other stuff done. That would really be a big win. For Republicans, honestly, I'm more concerned about retaining control of the House. 
just the way the map kind of sets up. Now, the issues that I think Joe Biden, I'll just go ahead and say, is going to be focused on to win re-election, assuming he's the man. I'm hearing more buzz about Michelle Obama parachuting in. (laughs) It's the way it's been described at the Democrat National Convention. But the next several months, the president, I think, is going to focus big time on abortion, and it's the end of democracy sort of stuff, protection of abortion rights, of course, the economy, um, and then he'll bash Trump, and he'll, he'll frame Trump as a person that will infringe upon your freedoms. Of course, to them, the freedom means free to vote, even though you're not a valid certified voter, free to have an abortion up to the point of birth, free to engage in criminal activity and not pay the price for it. I mean, it's just incredible. Free to to foist these inappropriate books and other inappropriate content on the likes of kindergartners and elementary school students. And then he'll try to focus on his legislative achievements and his his uh, his experience abroad. We're coming right back. Final segment. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines. Breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. We were talking about the history curriculum in school these days and how so much is just not included. And Jimbo in Gluckstadt says, I graduated in 84. Our history class ended around World War One and briefly touched World War Two. No mention of Vietnam since we were only 12 years removed. But gosh, 12 years seems would seem to be sufficient to produce some sort of historical account of what was an incredible time period in this nation's history and off and honestly shaped a lot of uh, future politics, policy, all of the above. I mean, it's, gosh, that was, I think it's uh, fair to say the kind of the launch of the, of the college protest. Not that college protest hadn't been going on prior to that. I mean, colleges have always been havens for, sort of um, movements, if you will, and if given rise to, to movements like that. But it was on steroids, as they say. It was jacked up significantly, daily, honestly, breakouts across the nation's college campuses. And, of course, tragedy as well with um, Kent State as an example. I mean, there, there were other examples. Um, gosh, the 1968 it seems like that ought to be. That whole dead gum year you could do like a month just on 68 when you consider the protest at the DNC and Martin Luther King, um, civil unrest across the country, Vietnam War. It's a lot, a lot, a lot in history in that period. I mean, it riots, 
burning down cities, Detroit, et cetera, et cetera. Scary time, honestly. It's hard to believe that that's not being discussed in a classroom. It should be, in my view. Let's see. Uh, Keith Meridian says we were talking about the dead gum pine trees that are visibly done with across the state, the landscape of the state. My pine, my pine plantation is chirping with the sound of beetles chewing. I'm sad. Yeah, I hear you, man. It's it is. Uh, it's been rough. The stress of the drought, the heat. I think uh, increased the vulnerability of those pine trees very susceptible to being devoured by the beetles. You can't go anywhere and not see them. I was on the trace over the weekend. That's usually the route I take between my house and my church. And the trace is lined with dead pine trees, you know, in the forest lining the trace. And it's across the state virtually. I haven't heard much about that. Not sure what the plan, if any, is. I, I worry about do they get so weak they just become uprooted and fall on their own. And if they're close enough to the roads... That that obviously poses a huge safety risk is a concern. Why would the government teach history, Thomas and Greenwood asked. People might recognize a semblance to prior events be against the current thing since they know how it ends up. Well, it's a plausible theory, but I think that it's it's obviously necessary for us to understand and know our history, but it, it you know, I also agree that we can't dwell on any period of time and say that other than how it shaped the future say that we're still stuck in it and i think that is to a great extent what the um, strong advocates of all this racialization in our schools and crt and the like is is uh, i think that's the intent honestly is to try to assert that, yeah, what's going on today is equivalent to what was going on 150 years ago, and that's just not true, not even remotely close to being accurate, and it is disturbing. And, you know, others say that by banning some of this uh, racial content that you're, uh, you're preventing the students from learning history. True history. Well, that's not true either. And and I don't think anybody suggested it should not be taught, shouldn't be discussed. It's just that it shouldn't be taught. What you shouldn't teach is that it still is alive and well today, and our society consists of oppressors and victims. And if you're of this race or ethnicity, etc., you're in the oppressor group or you're in the victim group, and then play all these goofy games that kind of act that out and illustrate that and start holding young children responsible for past wrong deeds and malevolence even though they had nothing to do with it. That's not right either. Well, we have uh, run out of time uh, today, but we'll be back with you again tomorrow and the remainder of the week. We're, of course, taking off New Year's Day next Monday, but Rhino will be, and I will be with you in the Element Well studio. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.
Talk Mississippi Media Production.